Well, as we come to the Word of God now, I trust that your heart is ready for us to study God's Word together. If you would, please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1. And today I want us to look at verse 7, but I want to begin by reading in verse 1, and I want you to see this building um, progression of thought that crescendos in verse 7. The title of this message is, Whatever Happened to the Fear of God? I want to begin reading in verse 1, but my eye is upon verse 7, and that is where we will camp out today. The Word of God reads, beginning in verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now verse 7, and verses 1 through 7 is what we call the prologue to the book of Proverbs. It's the front porch leading in to this extraordinary book, but it's... Verses 1 through 6 is like a stair step upward now to verse 7, which is the, the pinnacle, is the apex, is the crescendo of this opening prologue. This is what is most important. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. What comes to your mind when you hear the fear of the Lord? What do you think of when you think of a God-fearing person? Maybe someone cringing in a corner? Someone who never smiles? Someone who never laughs? What comes to your mind when you think of a God-fearing person? Someone walking around with a a big family Bible about this big, talking in a lot of these and thous, dressed in all black, looking like an advance agent for the undertaker. Is, Is something like that what comes into your mind? In previous generations, we used to call someone a God-fearing man, a God-fearing woman. And it was meant to be a compliment and a mark of high praise. To say that someone was a God-fearing individual meant they are a godly person. To be God-fearing was synonymous with having a singular devotion to God. It represented the very best that you could say about someone. That is a God-fearing person. But such language we do not hear very often today. In fact, to call someone a God-fearing person today is, is almost like calling them legalistic or pharisaical or out of balance or in need of some grace. 
Maybe some counseling. You're over the top. Step into the average church these days and you will most likely see a worship service that, it is, that is designed to remove any and all fear of God. The idea is to make feel, people feel comfortable. Make them feel casual. Just settle in. Make yourself at home. We don't want you to fear. The fear of God is considered these days to be a negative, not a positive. I think we, at, we need to ask ourselves, whatever happened to the fear of God? This verse in Proverbs addresses this very subject. In fact, this is the signature text for the entire book of, of Proverbs. And if we throw this verse away, we just need to throw the whole book away. But this is the central theme of the book of Proverbs. This is the big idea. This is the overarching messages, message. As I've said, this is in the climactic position of this entire prologue. Everything has led up to verse 7. In verses 2 and 3, he's talked about the fact that Proverbs contain wisdom and instruction and sayings of understanding and instruction in wise behavior. In verses 4 to 5, he has indicated that these give prudence, knowledge, discretion, learning, understanding. And in verse 6, they come in the form of a proverb, a figure, or words of wisdom. But all of that is to lead to this. All of that is simply to talk about the form and the essence, but now here is the summit. Here is the highest peak. Everything has been building up to this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That is to say, until you are truly a God-fearing person, you don't know anything. You don't know anything about God. You don't know anything about the kingdom of God. And step number one of entrance into the kingdom of God is to be a God-fearing person. And every step along the way in the Christian life is a step in ever increasing in the fear of God. You never outgrow fearing God. Uh, that's not something simply when you're first saved and then you get over it. You get over the fear of God. And now you kind of cuddle up to God and, and move into a different level of relationship. Oh, no. As you grow in grace, you will grow in the fear of God. You will be ever and always taking God all the more seriously. So by way of introduction, let me ask you a very personal question. Are you a God-fearing person? Would you describe yourself as one who has the heartbeat of the fear of God within your soul? When you peel back the layers of your heart, is there the pulse of the fear of God beating and throbbing strongly within your heart. As we look at verse 7, I want you to note three things with me. 
about verse 7. I want to isolate verse 7. I, I want you to consider first the nature of fearing God. Notice verse 7 begins, the fear of the Lord. What does that mean? What is the fear of God? What, what is its nature? And then second, I want you to consider with me the necessity of fearing God. For verse 7 goes on to say, the fear of the Lord, here's the necessity, is the beginning of knowledge. That's very important. And then third, the neglect of fearing God. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. After we look at verse 7 under those three headings, I want to then take you on a journey through the rest of the book of Proverbs, and I want to draw to your attention a trail of verses that address the primacy and centrality of fearing God in your life. Let's begin at, at the outset of verse 7. I hope you have your Bible. I hope you have it open, and, and I hope you can follow along with me. I want to begin first by talking about the nature of fearing God. Verse 7 begins, the fear of the Lord. Now, first let me say this is intensely positive. This is one of the greatest things that could ever happen to your spiritual life. In fact, there's nothing greater that could happen to your spiritual life than for this nature to be within you. Although it may sound initially negative, in reality it is intensely positive. John Murray, the great Scottish theologian, says that the fear of the Lord is the soul of godliness. He says it is the mark of piety. If you and I are to be a godly man, a godly woman, this will be the fertile soil in which our spiritual lives will grow. Now, the word fear is a Hebrew word, yairah, that means to be full of reverence towards God. The idea is not the dread of God that you are paralyzed and cannot function, and it also does not mean that you have a polite little reverence, that you have good manners in church. The fear of God indicates that you stand in awe of God, that there is a trembling within your soul, that you take God very seriously. In fact, you take God more seriously than anything or anyone in your life. You have a respect. You have reverence. And there is a state of wonder in your heart towards God, an astonishment, an amazement towards God. And more specifically, the fear of God is a worshiping heart in which God seems very big and very great, and we seem very small in comparison to God. 
The fear of God means to recognize God for who He is and to respond appropriately. It is in our own hearts and minds putting God in His rightful place, recognizing the right of God over my life. It is being gripped with the the greatness and the grandeur and the glory of God, so much so that it causes us to honor Him and to trust Him and to obey Him and to worship Him. To have the fear of God brings sobriety and soberness and seriousness of mind in relationship to God and how we see the world. And as we will see later, it doesn't mean that there's no joy. It is the fear of the Lord that, in, that produces true joy. The fear of the Lord is standing in awe of God kneeling in adoration before God, bowing in humility before God. It is being overwhelmed with His infinite perfections. It brings in our lives humility, submission, meekness, contrition, self-control. It is so fearing God that I fear taking Him for granted. It is so fearing God that I fear displeasing Him. A few years ago, I took my daughter and my youngest son and wife to downtown New York. My daughter graduated from high school. My son graduated from, from um, I guess my son graduated from high school, my daughter from college. And so I took them to downtown New York. To me, one of the differences between London and New York, and I really love London. But New York has lots of skyscrapers. You just walk around like this. And they seem to be rising up to the sky block after block after block after block after block after block. We saw the Empire State Building. Maybe you've heard of the Empire State Building. It's been there for decades. You can get in the elevator and go up to the top. My wife looked up and was too scared to get in the elevator to go up. My daughter did not want to go up. And as we would look up, we could see the clouds moving over the spire of the Empire State Building. And really all of our stomachs were tossing a bit as it was intimidating and and overwhelming. And my youngest son said, Dad, let's go. So (laughs) I'm praying for you. No, I, I went up with him, and my wife gave me the lecture, don't let him out of your sight, 
keep your hand on him at all times. And we got to the top, and you can just see forever. You can see to New Jersey. You can see all of New York City in every direction. You can see Long Island. You can see everywhere. It's just amazing. And it's all fenced in. There's no way to get out. But even as you stand at the edge, the immensity, uh, the, 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 the elevation, uh, and all of that just puts in your down on the inside, it just, it, there's a check. There's a, you're overwhelmed with the bigness of all of this. You're, you're careful. You don't play around up there. In small measure, that's a little bit of what the fear of God is like. God is high and lifted up. God is awesome. God is immense. God is transcendent. Yes, He is. And when we come to know God, there is in our heart and soul something that grips us, that that we have encountered someone who is way beyond us, who is way beyond the entire globe, someone who is way beyond the entire universe. And if there's not the fear of God within you, I wonder if you've come to know this God. The opposite of fearing God is in your spiritual life would be to be cavalier towards God. That God is trite, trivial, leads you to be highly casual with God. Maybe to be frivolous. Maybe to be flippant about spiritual things. At times to even have a a take-it-or-leave-it attitude regarding God and spiritual things. But when we fear God, I want you to know that there is a trembling on the inside. Not just that you have laid hold of God, but that God has laid hold of you. And He holds your life in the palm of His hands. And that He has foreordained the day you would enter this earth. And He numbered all of your days before there was one of them. And He has already predetermined your last day here upon the earth. And He has gone before you and He has marked out the path that you will take. And even when you make your plans, God overrules and directs you into the path that He wants you to go, that your whole life is in the hands of God and that it is in God that you live and move and have your being. God doesn't even have to take your life. He just stops giving it. I mean, there's a, there should be a... Some trembling within our soul about God. We have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Listen to Ephesians 6, verse 5. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. And by the way, that's not Old Testament, that's New Testament for whatever that's worth. 
Philippians 2, verse 12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your sanctification, your Christian life. There, need to be, there needs to be some trembling in your soul if you are to advance in Christ's likeness. You probably don't need to be any more kicked back and cool. You probably need to take it a little more serious. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 15, Paul says to the church at Corinth that Titus remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. So many times in the New Testament when the Bible speaks of a proper holy fear of God, it is accompanied with trembling on the inside of the soul. It's precisely what happened to Isaiah, is it not? Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah in the year King Uzziah died, went into the temple, he saw the Lord like he had never seen God. God suddenly became so much bigger and greater, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, his train filling the temple, and he heard the seraphim crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth is full of his glory. And the thresholds of the temple began to shake, and then Isaiah began to shake. That's what happened when people encountered God. It, it wasn't like hanging out at Starbucks. It was the most life-changing experience one could have. Think of John on the island of Patmos in Revelation chapter 1. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and he heard a voice behind him, and he turned around, and he saw one. His hair was white as wool, whose voice spoke with the sound of many waters, whose face was shining brighter than the sun, whose feet were like burnished bronze, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And it says, John fell like a dead man. That just means he fainted. He went unconscious to see the risen, glorified Christ in his finite body. Whenever men encountered God or Christ in his glorified state, they were suddenly full of fear and trembling. You remember Job, the account of Job? Job 1, verse 1, at the very beginning we read, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, and fearing God. Later in verse 8, he says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him on the earth. What distinguished Job as being set apart from everyone else on the earth? And we read that he was blameless, upright, fearing God. 
You know what will set you apart in this day, in this age, in your family, among your friends? Is that you truly be a God-fearing person. Jesus was God-fearing. Do you want to be like Jesus? Isaiah 11, verse 2, is a messianic prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. And we read, anticipating the the coming of Christ and His baptism in the River Jordan when the Holy Spirit would, would light upon Him. We read in Isaiah 11, verse 2, I hear some of you turning your pages. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. And now he begins to describe what it is to be Spirit-filled. What would it look like for the Spirit of God to control and empower your life? And so he says, concerning the Messiah, as he would be Spirit-filled, that this that the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Do you see that in your Bible? That is in the climactic position. Everything has been building up that when you're spirit-filled, you'll have wisdom, you'll have understanding, you'll have counsel, you'll have strength, you'll have knowledge, but most of all, you will have the fear of the Lord. Now, in an argument from the greater to the lesser, if this was true of the Lord Jesus Christ in His incarnation, how much more so must it be true of us that we too be God-fearing? Anyone who is filled with the Spirit is a God-fearing person. This is the nature of fearing God. Do you see what it is to fear God? It's to revere, to honor, to worship God, and to assume a a lowly posture of humility before Him, and for there to be fear and trembling within one's heart. Are you a God-fearing person? Do you take God this seriously in your life? Second, the necessity of fearing God. Back in Proverbs 1, verse 7, we read, The fear of the Lord is, and note, the beginning of, of knowledge. We can rightfully draw from this that this knowledge refers to the knowledge of spiritual truths. He's not referring to mathematics or gardening or athletics or the knowledge of um, science or, or whatever else. He's talking about the knowledge of the kingdom of God. He's talking about the knowledge of God Himself. He's talking about the, the knowledge of the truth that is in God's Word and the knowledge of how to rightly apply it in my life. We're talking about true knowledge, real knowledge, the highest knowledge there is. He says the fear of the Lord is the beginning 
of knowledge. Meaning, until there is the fear of the Lord, there is no true knowledge in one's life. In fact, without the fear of the Lord, you don't even know God, much less have knowledge of His kingdom. This word beginning, do you see it? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, This word beginning means the starting place. It means the first and controlling principle. It means the chief thing, the foundational thing, the, the fundamental thing. Fearing God is the very beginning principle of true knowledge, and it is the first step into the knowledge of God. Now, that is what he is saying. But once we take a step into the kingdom by truly humbling ourselves before God and looking up to Him and through His Son, Jesus Christ, and and fearing God every step forward in the Christian life is a step of ever-growing, ever-increasing, deepening reverence for God. Proverbs 23, verse 17 is a very important verse. Proverbs 23, verse 17 says, live in the fear of God always. There's never a day off in the Christian life from fearing God. Every moment of every day, we are to live in the fear of God. 24-7, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we are to live in the fear of God always, to be in a constant, continual state of always fearing God. And then when we come to the end of our lives, Ecclesiastes 12 and 13 says, the conclusion when all has been heard is. Now, what do you think he's going to say? There's a, there's a colon, and then there is the answer. The conclusion when all has been heard is. In other words, boil it all down to the bottom line. Here is the conclusion. You miss this, you miss everything. You get this, you've got it. The conclusion when all has been heard is fear God. Fear God. That's the beginning. That's every step along the way. That is the conclusion. Fear God. Have reverential awe in your heart for God that produces lowliness of mind and humility of soul and contrition before God. The early church was certainly filled with the fear of God. Acts chapter 2, verse 43, the the very verse after it says, and they continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. 
very next verse, very next statement, and everyone kept, so it's a continuous, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. That, that's the same word for fear. Everyone in the whole church continually kept on feeling a sense of awe about who God is and what God has done for us and and what God is doing for us. In Acts 5 and verse 5, we read that after Ananias was struck dead in church, we read, great fear came upon all. Not a little fear, but a great fear, and that was a spiritually healthy response. We read later in Acts 5, verse 11, after his wife Ananias was struck dead in church because she lied to the Holy Spirit about what she would give, it says, and great fear came upon the whole church. And I love what the next few verses say, that everyone in town was scared to join the church. And then it says, and the Lord just kept adding to their number. (laughs) They were scared to join, and some were scared not to join. That's the way you want it. And then in Acts 9, verse 31, this is a, a, a summarizing verse of the entire progress of, of the early church. Acts 9, verse 31. I just love this verse. It says, So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. So this isn't just a few isolated little fellowship groups. All of the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord. They just kept going on in the fear of the Lord. They just kept taking God more seriously giving Him more honor, giving Him more respect, more reverence. When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he told them to fear God. When Paul wrote to the church in Rome, in the book of Romans, he told them, fear God. When Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he told them, fear God with trembling. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he said, fear God with trembling. When Peter wrote to the churches at large who were scattered throughout Asia Minor, he says, fear God. This was the reoccurring message that the apostles gave to the early church, fear God. And when the writer of Hebrews urged his readers, he urged them to fear God. Let me just tell you very quickly under this four things why the fear of God is so necessary. We're under the necessity of fearing God. Number one, there is no salvation without fearing God. No one giggles their way into the kingdom. It's never a joke when someone's saved. I can't tell you how many people I've had come into my pastor's office. I hear, I hear the knock. They come in. I can see it in their eyes. I've got the sofa there. Have a seat. I turn my chair around. I talk to them. 
The weight of the world is on them because of the heavy burden of sin. And through the conversation and sharing the gospel of Christ with them and urging them to commit their life to Christ, that heavy load of sin is removed. But they have taken God so seriously. It's never a flippant thing to be saved. It's never a trivial matter. I've actually had people shake in my office as they are considering God, and rightly so. You remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross and the two thieves on both sides? And in Luke 23, 39, we read, and one of the criminals who were hanging there was hurling abuse at Jesus, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him and said, do you not even fear God? The one to whom Jesus said, today you will be with me in the kingdom, in paradise, is the one who feared God. I want to say again, no one enters the kingdom of God without taking God so seriously. Matthew 10, verse 28, Jesus said, Do not fear those who kill the body, but who are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him. Jesus said, Fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, you're spiritually insane not to fear God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Second, not only is there no salvation without the fear of God, likewise there is no growth in grace without the fear of God. To the extent that we truly fear God and take Him seriously, to that extent we grow in Christ-likeness. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. L listen to this verse. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You and I need to be pursuing and perfecting holiness in the atmosphere of the fear of God. Listen to 1 Peter 1, verse 17. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time here upon the earth. In other words, if you're breathing today, you need to fear God. If you're on this planet alive, you need to fear God. 1 Peter 2, verse 17, Peter writes this, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God. Honor the king. 
this is part and whole of the epicenter of your Christian life is to be a God-fearing Christian. Moreover, not only is there no salvation without the fear of God, and not only is there no sanctification without the fear of God, there's also no adoration without the fear of God. A casual worship service is an oxymoron. It's a contradiction in terms. It's like saying jumbo shrimp. Psalm 99, verse 1, the Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth shake. Exodus 15, 11 says, he is awesome in praises. Awesome. To be feared in praises. And then finally, in verse uh, 4, I would say, There is no true service for God without fearing Him. Colossians 3, verse 22. Slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. There is no sincerity of heart without fearing the Lord. And when we go witnessing, listen to 1 Peter 3, verse 15. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And that word reverence is the same word for fear. Do you see the necessity of fearing God every moment of every day of your Christian life? It's the beginning, it's the end, and it's every step in between in the Christian life. That's why we studied the attributes of God this week. That's why we gave time to consider the awesome majesty of our God to increase the fear of God within our own hearts and souls. No one is saved without the fear of God. No one grows in grace without the fear of God. No one worships without the fear of God. And no one serves and witnesses effectively without the fear of God. Third, I want you to note from this verse, from Proverbs 1, verse 7, we've considered the nature and the necessity of fearing God. Now, third, the neglect of fearing God. Now, you may be saying, Dr. Lawson, this is too much. This is too heavy. You're giving me a headache. I came to church to have a, a good time, and your 
You're giving me a headache. Okay, then let's look at the other option. Let's say here today you don't want to fear God. You just want to be left alone. You just want to keep on where you are, as you are. You don't want to be concerned with having to fear God. And surely in a gathering of this many people, there would have to be some people who who would be thinking that. So look at the second line of verse 7. This is the neglect of fearing God. If you want it your way, this is the only other option. And there's only two options. It's either fear God or fools despise wisdom and instruction. You're either fearing or you're foolish. There's no other options. There are only two classes of people in this world, those who fear God and those who are fools. A fool is one who lives... It speaks not of one who has, who does not have the intellectual faculties or the intellectual capacity to, to rightly reason or to think. No, to the contrary, a fool is one who actually understands the truth that is set before them but chooses to refuse it, to reject it, and to turn and to go their own way. Fool. Dwight L. Moody was an evangelist in the 19th century. In fact, he came here to London and preached for Spurgeon on several occasions. He was preaching here in London to thousands of people, and he was preaching that there is salvation in no other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He was preaching the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, that that Jesus is the only way of salvation. And there was a man in the back of this massive crowd who thought Dwight L. Moody was the biggest fool he had ever heard. To preach that kind of message to this erudite, educated, elite English crowd. So the man took out a piece of paper and he wrote down one word, fool, folded it up, raised his hand, the usher came to him and he said, take this to Mr. Moody, it is a matter of urgency. So the usher, not knowing what was in the message, took this message, it says, fool, walks up to the platform, puts it right on the pulpit while Moody is just preaching with all of his heart. He stops, he takes this piece of paper, he opens it up, and there's the word, fool. The man stands up in the back and just smiles and waves at Mr. Moody. Dwight L. Moody said, a very unusual thing has just happened. 
Many times I receive a letter and someone writes the letter and they forget to sign it. This person has signed their name but forgot to write the letter. <laughs> and waved back at the man. <laughs> The Bible doesn't have very, very, the Bible doesn't have anything, to, anything nice to say about anyone who's not a God-fearing person. This is all that the Bible has to say for someone who does not fear God. You are an absolute fool. Psalm 14 verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. But an even bigger fool is the one who does believe there is a God, but does not fear Him. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This word despise, do you see it there? Fools despise. It's not that they're neutral. It's not that they're uh, um, riding the fence. They, they actually despise God's wisdom and, and God's instruction. The word despise here means to hold in contempt, uh, to belittle, to ridicule, to reject, to refuse, to refuse to fear God. He says fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know how the Bible represents the unbeliever? In Romans 3, verse 18, it says, There is no fear of God before their eyes. You want to know what's wrong with London? There's no fear of God. You want to know what's wrong with America? There's no fear of God. You want to know what's wrong with the United Kingdom? There is no fear of God. Just fools going their own way, creating their own little patterns of life, on how to raise the family, how to find happiness, and giving no thought to death, giving no thought to eternity, giving no thought to the, the supernatural revelation that has come to us in the Word of God. Oh, how we need for the fear of God to come back into the hearts and souls of people. The fear of God would transform this, this culture and this society. It would change music. It would change education. It would change business. It would change the courtroom. It would dramatically change and put everything in, back in right order. How we need the fear of God again. In the last days, in the great tribulation, in Revelation 14, verses 16 and 7, God will send an angel to fly over the whole earth and to bring the gospel, the eternal gospel, one last time. And you know what the angel will, will say in the air? Fear God. It's God's final message to the earth before a door opens in heaven, and out of it comes a white steed, and him who sat upon it has diadem stacked up on his head, and the blood of his enemies on his garments, and a sharp two-edged sword out of his mouth. The last thing that God will say to this world is, fear God. 
It's the neglect of fearing God. In the time that remains, I would like to just trace this out throughout the rest of the book of Proverbs and just show you that this in reality is the thread that winds through this book. And I want to just briefly direct your attention. Come to chapter 2. Verses 1 through 5. Verse 5 is in the climactic position. Verses 1 through 4 speaks of what produces the fear of God. Notice verse 1 says if, verse 3 says if, verse 4 says if, verse 5 says then. Verse 1, my son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. What this is saying is, what is necessary for us to fear God is for us to receive the ministry of the Word of God. It is the Word of God that causes our hearts to fear God. If, 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 then. One of the greatest means by which the fear of God will be increased and intensified in your heart and in your soul, is to sit under strong biblical preaching. And then you will discern the fear of God. Look at chapter 3, verse 7. This is the restraining power of of fearing God. Verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Fear the Lord is the cause, turn away from evil is the effect. Fear the Lord is the root, turn away from evil is the fruit. That They are inseparably bound together. How can you and I overcome temptation? How can you and I turn away from evil? How can you and I resist the snares of this world? How can you and I not entangle ourselves in evil? It's very clear. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Come to chapter 8 and verse 13. Wisdom is personified as a woman who is calling out to us. And wisdom is the teaching of God. In reality, this is God calling out to us through the personification of wisdom as a woman calling out, I, wisdom, verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. Here's the first thing wisdom has to say. This is number one on the list. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So what are those forms of evil? It's not just out there, it's on the inside, in the heart. Pride and arrogance 
and the evil way. It is our pride and our arrogance that puts us onto the evil way. And there is only one way to defuse that bomb inside of each one of us, and that is by the fear of the Lord. It is a great restrainer that reigns in the flesh. Come to chapter 9 and verse 10. This is another signature text. It is found in Job 28, 28. It is found in Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This is an example of Hebrew parallelism where there's an A line and then a B line. And the B line fleshes out the A line. The fear of the Lord is increased with the knowledge of the Holy One. They both are in the lead position in these two lines. To fear the Lord is to increase in the knowledge of the Holy One. To gain the knowledge of the Holy One is to increase in the fear of the Lord. That is why when R.C. Sproul wrote his book 25 years ago, The Holiness of God, it came upon the evangelical landscape like a spiritual tsunami. It was a needed message in an hour in which the church had, had, had sunk into complacency with, with much sin and abusing Christian liberties, and, and going off into dabbling with sin, and being too, way too uh, familiar with sin. And he wrote this book, The Holiness of God, which has now sold millions of copies because it put its finger on the live nerve in the evangelical church that we must return to a knowledge of the holiness of God and be struck again within our own souls with the fear of the Lord. How will you grow to fear God more fully? It is by growing in the knowledge of the holiness of God. That God is high and lifted up, transcendent, majestic, a cut above us, and that God is perfectly blameless in all of His ways, morally pure, morally perfect, and that God cannot look upon sin with approval. Look at chapter 10 and verse 27. The fear of the Lord prolongs life. But the ears of the wicked will be shortened. As you know, Proverbs are observations of life. They are not promises for the believer. And as a general rule, this is true. There are exceptions. Look at God's own Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He died a seemingly premature death. But if you will fear God, you'll stay out of a lot of trouble. And if you fear God, you'll avoid a lot of diseases. 
that come through sinful behavior that would take your life. If you fear God, you will obey the laws of the land and not be subject to the death penalty. If you fear God, you will not be under the influence of alcohol when you drive your car, and it will prolong your life. If you fear God, you will take care of your body and look after your own health. If you fear God, it says in verse 21, it will prolong life. But the years of the wicked, those who live as if there's no tomorrow, those who eat, drink, and be merry, those who give no thought to the laws of the land or the laws of God or the care of the temple of their body, it'll catch up with you. Look at chapter 14 and verse 2. He who walks in his uprightness fears the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a motivation, a pure motivation, a godly motivation to walk in uprightness, knowing that God is omnipresent and God is omniscient and that God is in every place and God is in my every conversation and that God is a party to every activity that I'm a part of and every place that I go, whether it be entertainment or work or socially, God is there, God sees, and God hears. And it is this healthy, holy fear of God that leads me to walk in uprightness. Look in this same chapter at verse 26. And I hope that you're sensing how many times the fear of God is being mentioned in the book of Proverbs. Would you be wise? Would you have discernment in your spiritual life? Then fear God. Look at verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. Listen, if you fear God, you do not fear men. If you fear God, you do not fear circumstances. If you fear God, you do not fear the, the consequences around you. If you fear God, you know that your life is in the hands of this awesome, powerful God. And you have confidence to live life. You're not shrinking back in, 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 in fear. That's the wrong kind of fear. If you will fear God, you will be fearless. And notice the beeline in verse 26. And his children will have refuge. That is to say, such a man, such a woman will provide such a home for their children that they will live in a refuge, in a fortress of, of godliness, and the children will recognize the reality in their father's life, the reality of God in their father's life and in their mother's life. Look at the next verse, verse 27. It's back-to-back -back verses on the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. The fear of the Lord is this 
fountain and gushing out of this fountain with an endless supply and abundant flow is the fullness of life, the abundance of life. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. How can you and I enter in and be immersed with what is flowing from the fountain of life? This verse says to fear God. And if you do not fear God, then the life that you live, even as a believer, will have a diminished experience of this fullness. Look, if you would, at chapter 15 and verse 16. How? how? Let's say you have some scales, and on one side is the fear of the Lord, and on the other side are the riches of this world. Which would outweigh the other? And in verse 16 we read, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and turmoil with it. We learn a lot from that verse. That the fear of the Lord is more valuable than all the riches in this world. The fear of the Lord will give you more pleasure, more satisfaction, more joy, more contentment, more, satis- more satisfaction than, than all of the things of this world. And we also learn from this that without the fear of the Lord, there will be much turmoil. And no matter how much great treasure you have, it will not take away the sting of the turmoil. Look at the last verse of this chapter, verse 33, chapter 15, verse 33. Here is another great truth about the fear of the Lord. Verse 33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. And what this says is the fear of the Lord leads us into wisdom, and the result of that is humility. And it is our humility that then leads to honor. Did not Jesus say, he who humbles himself will be exalted, but he who exalts himself will be humbled? How can you and I humble ourselves beneath the mighty hand of God? It is the fear of the Lord. It produces humility. And then that humility is honored by God with honor. Look at chapter 16 and verse 6. By loving kindness and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one keeps away from evil. I think we got the message. This has been repeated throughout this book. This is not the first time we've heard this. This is so fundamental to the Christian life. This is so fundamental to living a life of wisdom that this is brought back before our eyes again. It is the fear of the Lord that keeps away from evil. Part of that fear is realizing the consequences of sin. Part of that fear is realizing the discipline of the Lord 
upon believers who do not fear Him. Part of this fear is realizing the chastening hand of God when we fail to fear Him and we are wise in our own eyes. Come to chapter 19 and verse 23. We see the fear of the Lord again in virtually every chapter, seemingly, with some exception, but again and again and again. Now in verse 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And this refers to fullness of life as God designed for us to enjoy, to enter into. We enter into the life that God has designed for us to experience and to enjoy as the fear of God is real and ever-deepening in our own heart and soul. Notice the, the second line in verse 23, so that, in other words, this is the result of the fear of the Lord that leads to life, so that one may sleep satisfied, untouched by evil. That is to say, some people do not sleep at night well because they are so filled with anxiety and worry about what may happen to their life or what may come. The fear of the Lord drives out all other fears. And when you fear God, you can go to sleep at night with peace. Listen, if we could bottle this and sell it on the streets, we, we would be trillionaires. We, we live in an age where people can't sleep. They're so traumatized by the complexities and the stresses and the strains of, of life. And they're getting up earlier and they're going to bed later. And it's just all piling up on them. And if you will fear God, it puts everything back into right order. It establishes boundaries and parameters in your life. And the fear of God displaces these other fears and stresses. Listen, when the fear of God moves in, the fear of circumstances moves out. And when the fear of circumstances moves back in, the fear of God is moved out. The two cannot live in the same heart at the same time. It's either or, not both and. They are mutually exclusive. Which would you want? Are you heavy laden and burdened? with the trials and the stresses of this world. I, I'm speaking to some people today who brought a heavy load into this service. I'm speaking to some people today who haven't slept, who could easily just begin crying right now. Do you know what the healing balm is for your soul? Fear God. 
God is your greatest help. But you must reverence Him and honor Him. Look at chapter 22 and verse 4. Just a couple more of these. The good news for you is I have to catch a plane to Scotland. There is an end. Chapter 22, verse 4. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord. Now understand this. It is the fear of the Lord that produces humility. Now here is the result. If you fear God, then there will be true humility in your life. And as you are humble, produced by the fear of God, it will result in riches, honor, and life. Now, this is not a prosperity gospel. This is not a name it and claim it verse. But I will tell you this. On the whole, big picture, there are exceptions If you are a God-fearing person marked by humility, you will be a hard-working person. And your boss will love you. And your boss will hang on to you because you bring value to the office. And you just may get a promotion. And you may just get a raise because you are more responsible, you are more industrious, you are more faithful, you are more positive in that office than all the godless people in that office. You're not a troublemaker, you're a peacemaker. You walk around with joy and with a smile on your face. You're positive. You're upbeat. You're honest. You're not stealing from the company. Yeah, there's going to be some riches probably coming to your life. But you don't fear God and just be a deadbeat, just bouncing around in life like a a tumbleweed being blown around. You can't keep a job. Your resume is is pathetic. There won't be riches because you don't fear God. If you feared God, you would be far more punctual, far more industrious, far more energetic, far more up and at it. And what's the next thing? Honor? Yeah, there'd be recognition from the boss, from your family. And then it says in life. It refers to the fullness of the life that God has prepared for you to live. You would get in on all that God has prepared for you. Do you think fearing God is a negative or a positive in your life? 
If you thought about it selfishly, the greatest thing that you could do for your life would be to fear God. Look at chapter 23, verse 17. 23:17. Do not let your heart envy sinners. But live in the fear of the Lord always. When you fear God, the things of this world diminish, and the successes of worldlings diminish, and the treasures of the world to come increase, and you begin thinking about laying up for yourselves treasure in heaven and not here on the earth where rust does not corrupt and moths do not eat and thieves do not break in. And you're not envying sinners who are getting ahead in the world and fantasizing and daydreaming and wanting to change places with them instead. No, I'm very content to be a God-fearing person and even little with the fear of the Lord is more than the treasures of this world. And you become immune to the, the, the pull and the seduction of, of wanting to be like these other sinners out there in the world. Instead, we are to live in the fear of the Lord always. Look at chapter 24 and verse 21. Verse 21, my son, fear the Lord and the king. Now, that is to say, if you will fear God, you will be a law-abiding citizen. If you fear God, you will give honor to those who are over you, who are placed by God, Romans 13 says, as, as, as ministers of God. So, part and parcel of fearing God is fearing the king and giving honor. And then he says in the second line, do not associate with those who are given to change. And what that means is those who are wanting to overturn society, those who are wanting to disrupt the, the moral fabric of, uh, of a culture. He says, do not even associate 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 says, bad company corrupts good morals. When you fear God, you've got a new set of friends. When you fear God, you have new circles of friendship and association. When you fear God, you are looking for other God-fearing people. And when you are fearing God, and if you're not married, you're looking for someone of the opposite sex who is God-fearing. And it's two God-fearing hearts that come together. And you will avoid, like the plague, someone from the other sex who is not a God-fearing person. I I'm not associating. I'm not hanging out. We're not dating. We're not going. Because you don't fear God. You say, well, I'll lead him to Christ. I'll lead her to Christ. Yeah, right. 
you're not that good. Why don't you start with your next door neighbor? Do you see how important the fear of the Lord is? This is not secondary. This is primary. This is not peripheral. This is central to your Christian life. And if you don't fear the Lord, you are going to be into all kinds of trouble. You're going to be sowing certain seeds and then praying for crop failure. as you are setting certain things in motion. I've got one more. Come to the very end of Proverbs, chapter 30, uh, chapter 31, verse 30. Those of you who are single men here today, who are without a wife, this is exactly what you need. You need the beauty and the charm of a God-fearing woman. Now, this little section begins in verse 30. An excellent wife who can find her worth is far greater than precious stones. The heart of her husband trusts in her, for she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And then it goes from verse 12 all the way through verse 29, and it is the profile of a spiritual knockout. It is a profile of a spiritual godly woman who has true beauty. And guys, let me tell you, when, you're, when the wife turns 45, everybody's wife looks the same anyway. <laughs> it's kind of like babies. Everybody says, don't you think my baby's beautiful? It's like, looks like every other baby to me. <laughs> you call that beautiful? <laughs> All right, look at verse 30. Now, this is true beauty. Charm is deceitful. Listen. There's a woman who can wink her eye, has a dimple, can go buy a new dress, put on some lipstick. I mean, she can smile. She can roll her eyes at you. You can pick them up and roll them back to her. <laughs> her eyes are like stars. They come out at night. <laughs> Charm is it, it's deceitful, and, and, and we guys fall for it. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord, she and she alone, shall be praised. Her husband will rise up and call her blessed. 
Her children will rise up and call her blessed and say, you have excelled them all. You're in a league by yourself. No one else is even in your category because you so fear God. And your real beauty is an inner beauty that the department stores cannot give you and the workout treadmill cannot give you and the health club cannot give you. It is a real inner beauty that is beautiful in the eyes of God and beautiful in the eyes of a man who fears God. Men, those of you who are not married here today, and there's many of you, you need to have this verse just mounted on your wall and pray that God will bring such a woman into your life who fears God. And those of you men who are married and who have a God-fearing woman like this, you need to say, I am blessed among all men on the earth that I have one who excels them all because her heart honors God and it causes her to be humble. Everything's not revolving around her. She is so humble and she is so serving and she is so industrious and she gets up so early for the family And she stays up late caring for everyone else. And she just gives and she gives and she gives because she fears God. And she does this for a greater love than even the love she has for you. She does this because she loves God and because she fears God. Her love for God is not a shallow, superficial love. It is a true love that reverberates with the fear of God. Tonight, this afternoon, we have looked at the nature of fearing God, the necessity of fearing God, and the neglect of fearing God. And we have traced out all 16 verses in the book of Proverbs that highlight and profile and feature how important it is that we fear God. So I want to ask you this question. Do you fear God? Do you want to fear God? Do you want to fear God more? Do you want to fear God more than anything else in this world? Do you want to fear God more than when you walked into this building? 
Do you want to grow and deepen in the fear of God? If you would pray to God tonight and say, God, I want this for my life. God is looking for someone just like you to put his hand upon in a stronger way and just squeeze your soul and give you even more of the fear of God. And as you grow in the fear of God, you will grow from being a boy to a man. And you will grow up from being just a girl to a woman as you fear God. For those of you here this afternoon who have never believed in Jesus Christ, if you do not believe in Christ, you are so foolish. For God has sent His only Son into this world to go to the cross and to die in the place of sinners and to bear all their iniquities in Himself and to suffer upon that cruel cross and to shed His blood and to make the only atonement for sin. As you find yourself here this afternoon, if you have never called upon the name of the Lord, in your heart of hearts this very moment, I, I plead with you, I beg you to believe in Jesus Christ. And you may never have another moment like this again in the rest of your life. You may never be so at the intersection of a personal conversion to Christ. And maybe you've been putting it off. Maybe you have been playing both, both ends into the middle. I call you this moment to give your life to Christ. Believe upon the Savior who suffered and bled and died, that the new way of entrance into the presence of God, the only way of entrance, will be applied to your life. And if you do not believe in Christ, I have to be a truth teller. And I can't tell you just part of the truth. I've got to tell you the whole truth. I need to go all the way with you. If you die without Christ, you will go to hell forever. And you will burn in the lake of fire and brimstone. And you will be subject to the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And hell is more real than London, England. There is being offered to you this very moment the free grace of salvation in Jesus Christ. And it is there for the taking. It is here for the offer. And in your heart of hearts, you must receive Christ. And so I want to urge you, you don't have to walk forward. You don't have to raise a hand. You don't have to talk to the preacher. You don't have to do anything except in your own heart believe in Jesus Christ. Cross the line. Enter through the narrow gate. And Jesus says, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. 
And out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Jesus says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of heart. You shall find rest for your souls, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Listen, it's not hard to be a Christian. It's great to be a Christian. The way of the transgressor is hard. I call you to exit the broad path, enter onto the narrow gate and through the narrow gate and enter into life. And may Jesus Christ be your own personal Lord and Savior. Fear God and give Him the glory that He alone deserves. Fear God and it will go well with your life. Fail to fear God, and you will waste your life and eternity will be the subject of damnation. Fear God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. Lord, I pray for each of us in this house today that we would be God-fearing, and that we would fear you and revere you, respect you, honor you, magnify you, give you the glory, and that we would truly humble ourselves beneath your mighty right hand. For those who have never come to this point and to this place, God, I pray that this very moment you would bring their heart under conviction and draw them to yourself that they might truly believe in Christ and become God-fearing. So God, thank you for this precious congregation that is gathered together. I thank you for these many who do fear you And I pray all that we have considered tonight would come true in their life in fullest measure. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as...